And we are back with our end of Pride Month episode for Ladies First. I'm Corey. Taylor's with me. Hello. And we have some thoughts about things. So, if you're on our site page, you can probably see our description, but this time, instead of pride, we wanted to talk about, like, wrath, because so often at this time of year, I see people like, rather than, like, pride month, let's do gay revenge, gay wrath. And the idea of, like, revenge, like, the idea of wrath really resonates with me and Corey. Like, we got into a rant on this about just how... With stories about women and stories by women, how, like, if you have a female character who is at all morally ambiguous or villainous, she is, like, the worst thing in existence, and there's nothing that can be gained from such a story and, like, terrible role model, you know, think of the children, and you see it a lot with stories like Gone Girl, which is... It's this idea that basically that women can't be trusted with stories of more complexity because we'll be, you know, swayed to do bad things. And so it's just, it's a very frustrating thing because, you know, as someone who likes villainous female characters or morally ambiguous female characters, I think we should be allowed to have these stories and not be called, you know, girl bosses in a very negative way or be accused of like whitewashing a character's actions just because we are interested in the character themselves, you know? I, I think like, okay, let's make a comparison. We have how many stories out there about men who are anti-heroes? We have, or just outright like shit lords. Yeah. We've got Breaking Bad comes to mind. Um, the Punisher, I know you know, Marvel comics, people would want to argue with me about like, well, he's an anti-hero now. He's like, yeah, he's a really, really violent dude. He started off as a villain. Yeah, you could make some arguments there. But I mean, men get to be assholes. Men get to be complex. Men get to be ambiguous and morally gray and like they have fandoms all over the world and you know for whatever people even woobify the crap they do but you have a morally complex woman and it's like she's satan incarnate how dare anybody make a film about this or a song about this or a book about this or anything about this it's just like for god forbid that women have stories about going insane or getting revenge or just ruining the lives of men who fuck them over. Um, and we, we don't mean that in the ableist sense. Like we're also talking about, there have been movies about men who uh, maybe we shouldn't say insane. We should maybe say unreliable narrator or fair. descending down a dark path. Um, like I said, we're not trying to be ableist. So maybe we, don't quite use insane because I think that could be misconstrued. Yeah, I didn't (laughs) mean in that sense. I was just, but yes, it's this idea that you can have characters like a villain in a sci-fi movie who is this evil scientist and people like adore this kind of villain. You know, they, you can have villains like Dr. Horrible you know, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, he's the point of view character and you can still like sympathize with him or 
see things that are cool like or interesting about him without like condoning him and that's understood that you can be interested in such character but if you have a female villain a villainess it's like this immediate idea that if you are interested in her character at all it means you support her i see this a lot with like gone um gone girl gillian flynn's movie slash book because a lot of women resonate with Amy Dunn and her cool girl speech and this idea that this woman who has been cheated on and was treated by a husband just finally is like, sets him up. And it's like, don't, I do not agree at all with how Amy Dunn goes about things. I just find her character interesting. And the story itself is interesting because it's so complex of a story and it has so many shades of gray and you never know quite how honest or dishonest the characters are in the story i think what underlines this and i apologize for the car alarm in the background underlines this is just like it's an expression of anger by women and our society i should say is just very threatened by women's anger it's always has been that like that i remember when i read about how like the two oldest law codes and human civilization like literally had like these like stone cones or whatever had like inscribed on them essentially that if a woman spoke out of turn to have her teeth smashed with a brick and someone made this really pointed tweet about how just this idea that it's built into human society that when a woman speaks up it's to punish her with violence and so it's this idea that there's this double standard that if in fiction, women can't express their own anger through violence, but in real life and in fiction, if they do express their anger, they are seen as inviting violence. And it's very unfair and very frustrating. Now, I mean, I do want to say before we move forward with the rest of the episode, there's some caveats here. Um, we're talking about, you know, women's anger as a whole and our inability to express it without having threatened people reacting violently to it. We're not talking about white women weaponizing their anger, like the Karening against, you know, service workers or people of color, like that very specific type of like white women utilizing their privilege and getting angry to try and harm somebody else just because they're not getting their way. And we're not talking about like girl bossing in the negative sense of like, Oh, I'm going to pretend to be a feminist just so I can profit and then judge you uh, for daring to call me out. Like we're not talking about that type of weaponized. We're using this to go after minorities to try to just get our way because we're angry that we can't we're mildly inconvenienced yeah it's kind of it's very much focusing on women's anger against people who have power over them so for example mm-hmm. women's anger against men and men mistreating them for example like in gone girl her husband cheating on her um in before he cheats the classic care underwood song in the Dixie Chicks, uh, the Chick song, Goodbye Earl, which is about a woman killing her abusive husband, things like that, where it's a woman expressing anger at things that are being put onto them by people with power over them. Right. So anger at injustice, rather than anger at not being treated like a lord of 
all of creation. Exactly. So, I mean, like, our society kind of expects all marginalized people to really restrict their anger. And this isn't just for women. This is for people of color as well. And it's like the more marginalized you are, the more society punishes you for having normal fucking human emotions, you know, hashtag respect their age, Um, you know, like Native American people, First Nations people, Aboriginal people, Indigenous people across the globe have every reason to be fucking angry over colonialism. Black people in the U.S. have every reason to be angry for so many things. So, so, so we could be here all day. Many things to be angry about. But again, the more marginalized you are, the more those who are kind of in power are afraid of that anger. And I think a lot of it is because it's justified anger. And it's, you know, it's righteous anger. I remember um, last summer when the Black Lives Matter movement after Breonna Taylor and George Floyd had really sparked marches, which we can discuss the efficacy of non-Black people if they actually upheld their allyship or not. <clears throat> Anyways, I'm getting off on tangent. I remember seeing a video of a Black woman explaining just what they were so upset about. And she was very, very impassioned while she was laying out very legitimate and real grievances. And at the end, I remember her saying, y'all are damn lucky. All we want is to be treated equally. And I remember thinking, it's like, yeah. Yeah, society is very lucky that that's all they're asking for is to be treated equally and not revenge. Definitely. I actually know what you're talking about. And I was, it's interesting because I saw tweet along those lines, but with women, like a few years before that, what's the idea that it, it was around the time of the Me Too movement. And it was like, it's posted tweeted how men were lucky that women wanted equality, not revenge. Mm-hmm. Whether it's white supremacy or patriarchy or any kind of system of oppression, it's like the anger is very justified and has been there for a very long time. Well, I mean, you look at what's going on in Canada right now with the mass graves or the unmarked graves of literally hundreds of children who were stolen from their families, uh, of First Nations children who were stolen from their families and sent to the residential schools. And you see Canadians are just like, again? And I'm like, what is wrong with you? I get that the anger is inconvenient for you. And it might make you feel bad or it might make you worried about there being a reckoning. But guess what? We at large fucked up. Yes. And it's like, it's norm. There should be concern if anger wasn't being felt, if you had hundreds of children's graves being uncovered. It's like even one is too many. And this many, on top of such a history, it's like, of course, there's going to be anger. I mean, we're talking at like right at a thousand, if not a little over in the space of less than a month. It's just that level of collective grief with the anger built into that grief is just it's it'd be overwhelming. And it's of course, people are going to express it because that is what they need to do. Grief has to be grief is a social process in many ways. And that's so much what 
there's so much grief tied into anger, you know, mm -hmm. anger being this very feeling of motivation and getting one active to get through the grief and to make change for the grief. And I think like society as a whole, like society and power does a great job of picking away at the legitimacy of that anger. And I mean, you see this most apparently in the U S with the stereotypes of like the angry black woman, the strong, angry black woman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Popular culture has so delegitimized their anger that it's just immediately, uh, they're very valid anger. Definitely. That it's just kind of, it, it's almost like it doesn't register at large. It's just yes, like, it oh, strong, angry or angry black woman. And I'm like, do you understand the state of grace that the rest of us live in compared to the amount of rage that black women in particular are justified in unleashing. It's you want to talk about the meaning of grace. So much of like the strong or angry black woman idea. It's like, it's a way for white people as a whole and as individuals to not feel as much pre pressure to empathize and to make a difference for the better for the lives of black women. Cause it's like, Oh, if they're strong, they can handle it. This mm -hmm. idea that goes back to slavery. It's like, I mean, black women were put through so much when they were enslaved, you know, having their children and their husbands and their families in general taken from them and having to labor and endure abuse. And it's like, they're strong. They can take it. It's no, no human being should. These are human violation, rights violations. And it's this idea that it's dehumanizing is what exactly it is. that was the word I was looking you're for you're stripping and somebody of their humanity by saying oh well you're strong enough you don't have to deal with it it's like no you're human you have the right to be hurt and to feel your trauma and to process your trauma and you know on some level like white society realized that otherwise they wouldn't have really gone after black women in caricatures in media to try to completely like um, going all the way, all, all, all the way back to Amos and Andy, which oh, that's, that's uh, we could do an entire episode and how fucked up that is anyways. But they had these kind of um, they referred to as the sapphires. Yeah. It goes all the way back to that of like this nitpicking. She's always angry about something. She's a shrew. She's just, there's always something she's never going to be satisfied. And it just delegitimizes the real anger because, well, oh, well, she's just never going to be happy. And that, that's the entire depiction that got started. And now we have strong, angry black woman. And now I will say there was a caveat of like during the 70s black exploitation with films made by black directors, you know, starring black women that they really kind of subverted that. But like for the most part, the media dating all the way back to how it portrayed back black women back to the sapphires was just let's delegitimize every grievance they have and turn them into just little nitpicking harpies that are never happy about anything and you know and to a broader extent you see that with the patriarchy in general of let's delegitimize women's anger by stereotyping them and making them seem like they're just shrews that are never happy. But you really, really see it, especially with the depictions of Black women. Totally agree. I was like just remembering this quote I showed you. And it's like the quote is by Andy 
Ziesla, I think is how her name is pronounced. And it's like, we are told that the neutral detachment of rational and objective white men is the golden mean and that outrage and anger undermine our ability to be heard and understood by those neutral self-appointed ju judges. The history of women's rage is not a coiled rattlesnake, but an Ouroboros. And for me, that ending part of that quote, women's rage is not a coiled rattlesnake, but an Ouroboros really resonates with me because it's the idea that anger, it's a cycle of anger that we internalize as we go through life, having to deal with men and patriarchy. And, you know, I've heard, it's been said that depression in many ways is anger internalized. And so it's like, we are shamed and mocked and vilified if we express our anger, whether as people or through our stories we tell like our media. And then if we can't express it, we internalize it and that hurts us and makes it easier for the people who are causing our anger. Well, and then you see like in media where women do get these roles and it feels almost cathartic and um, like, yes, we do get to see angry women. We get to see flawed women where we're not having to create this grotesque pantomime of absolutely perfect in every single way just to have white men consider our opinions, not even listen to us and agree with us, just listen and maybe think about what we're saying. So like um, Midsummer came out. We all know Midsummer. There's a lot of women who found that to be incredibly cathartic of you have a dill weed for a boyfriend and it's kind of almost like a revenge scenario. And the amount of men who were clutching their pearls over women who were like, hell yeah. I'm just like, out of all the films where women get fridged or men literally get to go shoot their cheating lovers that you've had for decades, if not longer, one film comes out and all of a sudden you're just the most fragile little snowflake who cannot fucking handle it. It reminds me of all the like screaming men were doing online when that Captain Marvel deleted scene came out where she crushed that guy's hand who was like- She didn't even crush her. his hand. She just squeezed it hard. You know, yeah. Basically, like, they were acting like she, like, destroyed him or something. And I'm and just- I mean, here's the thing. If you are so, like, can't you put yourself in his shoes? Like, he didn't deserve it that bad. He's a human being. I'm like, okay, so what's stopping you from extending that empathy- to literally everybody else in the rest of these stories. Exactly. It's like, why is the guy who is harassing a woman getting the sympathy rather than a woman who stands up and protects herself and puts him in his place? And... I mean, and we, we this happens in the queer community too. Like, I'm not saying this is just like in the realm of the straights. Like, this is a queer community problem, too, where we have, like, we talked about it last time with, like, respectability, patriarchy politics, and, like, there's good and bad representation, you know, not just the queer community, but the leftist community, too. Like, it's not just the realm of, like, the conservative whites. Definitely. Like, I'd wanted to mention this in the last episode, but I forgot to, so I made a specific note of this. Um, a few months ago, I was on Twitter and I follow was following this bisexual activist, Shiri Eisner, and this like random like bi 
Twitter account posted about how Holly Quinn is like not great bisexual representation because she's a villain and Sherry Eisner like retweeted with this combat how like you know the straight society makes villains bisexual into villain eyes and stigmatized bisexuality and I'm just like reading this and I'm just like are you kidding me Harley Quinn is one not a strict villain and two just because a character is bisexual and a villain does not mean that they are quote-unquote bad representation that's just putting someone on a pet a group of people on a pedestal Harley Quinn's like she was I think if I remember correctly she started as just a sidekick off of the Batman animated series and she just grew a life of her own she's become one of the most beloved complex anti-heroes if not outright on the path to I'm a hero now I mean her entire arc has just been fascinating definitely but she's complex exactly like if she were like a one-note villain whose bisexuality was clearly tied to them being villains then it would be a problem. But she is a complex person who has good and bad sides and whose bisexuality is only a part of who she is. And I would argue the more she went off of the path of I'm going to go with Mr. J villainry, the more her sexuality opened up to being more of the not hetero, the more heroic she became or the more not a raging, like terrible mass murdering shitlord she became. If anything, her sexuality is linked to her being a better person. Yes, because she she has been friends with Ivy since almost the beginning her of her and character. Ivy being better people. Like, yes. you could literally argue the sapphism saved them from villainy. They're not perfect, but I mean, if you want to look at their career trajectories of pre-getting together, post-getting together, I mean, come on. Come on now. I'm just saying. It's just so limiting and like almost insulting. It's like, excuse me, you think I don't, I can't handle seeing villains who are women or bisexual women and stuff. Like you think that's going to like, that's inherently bad for me. Like there's a reason why the gay community embraced a lot of the Disney villains because the Disney villains were queer coded, but as villains, they had power, they had style they were charismatic and those were very cool qualities and characters that were very like interesting you bring up disney i want to talk about cruella everybody's like why does this movie need to exist we don't need any more prequels and i was one of them until i saw it and i'm like oh my god i fucking love this because she is such she does not care about being good she doesn't even care about being nice she's not an outright villain she is endlessly fascinating endlessly fascinating to me the way think- disney did her prequel like not like that i'm gonna mm-hmm. go skin a bunch of puppies if if you watch i'm spoilers okay spoilers her whole thing with having an issue with dalmatians is because they literally shoved her adoptive mom off a cliff to her death and at the end she still adopts them and then gives their puppies away to the couple that we know of as the heroes from like 101 dalmatians of which the wife, I'm blanking on her name, was one of the, her only friends. Juanita or Anita? Yes, Anita. Thank you. I'm just like, this is such a fun reimagining of we're just going to let a very dark gray character exist and just run amok. I would watch an entire series just about her. I don't care about the damn dogs. 
I would watch an entire series just about her. Like she is the type of character that would honestly end fur being made because one of her competitors was doing it and was dicking over her bottom line. She would do the right thing for the wrong reason and it would be fascinating to watch. Like talk, you talking about Krill helped me re- realize why these kind of female characters are so empowering and liberating for women to watch. It's the idea you have these characters who don't have shame. Oh so, yeah, that's a good because, point. You know, anger and burns away shame. Um, it's something I think about a lot as someone who ha- has had to work through a lot of shame for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why these stories about women getting back at society and being angry and messy and even violent is it's a catharsis of not second guessing themselves, not wondering if they need to like get quiet, lower their voice, censor themselves. It's like, no, this is who I am. I'm a bitch. Fuck you. I'm doing what I want for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to watch the new show Kevin Can Fuck Himself because it looks so cathartic as yes. someone whose parents were a little sitcom marriage and not a fun sitcom marriage. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do. There, There is one other caveat I want to mention. Like when we're talking about you know, women and other marginalized identities getting to be angry. Um, If there is a larger critique from this growing movement of like more people saying women deserve to be angry, um, it's it's so far, it's mostly centered on white women and um, only white women. And it really needs to expand to adequately show and address, especially women of color, and their specific rage issues. And sometimes this is going to include their rage at white women for valid reasons. And white women just like, I'm sorry, you need to just shut up and let let them be angry because it's very valid. And you live in a system that where you still have to deal with patriarchy. You don't have to deal with patriarchy and racism TM. Yeah, remember, we, so just we sit heard- down. Yeah. It's like when we first had this conversation, I was like, and we were talking also about trans women. It's like, I would love to see the Wachowski sisters make a movie about a trans woman who is like a villainess and just goes off and just really is like fighting against the system mm-hmm. and is shameless and just messy and just very flawed anti-heroine. That would be cool. And again, with like, I know you mentioned like God. What's the the director's name? She directed Thirteenth and Selma. Ava DuVernay. Yes, I would love to see her do one of those kind of movies too. Because well, honestly, like those sort of grindhouse films, I would love to see more grindhouse films of just women getting to revel in being bad and having fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, especially for women of color, and you know, like Eastern Asian women, and have their own reasons to be angry. Then Southeastern Asian women have their own e- reasons to be angry. Then South Asian women have their own reasons to be angry. Black women have their own reasons. Like everybody should get a seat at the table of getting to be that angry. I'm just gonna fuck everything up and revel in the fire, like. 
it's still just mainly the realm of men. Occasionally a white woman gets to do it. Not nearly enough, but that seems to be where it ends. I should say a cis white woman, a cis straight white woman. And even then when they do get it, they risk backlash, especially like, because I just released an article on murder ballads, specifically one murder ballad, but for it, I did a lot of research. And when women in country, specifically white women in country did murder ballads with like, it was about women killing men, they risked real backlash from country music for doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this idea that when women express their anger in art, it's suddenly like everyone, you know, loses their minds and are like, oh my God, she's so terrible. Like, what are you doing? You know, it's this breaking of the status quo. But how many times in country songs do we get to hear about men being absolute shitlords? Definitely. Johnny Cash did did a, a murder ballad about a man killing his unfaithful lover. He did that song twice and two, co- covered it 30 years apart. In the second recording he did of it, he added a verse about basically being like, yeah, guys, if your w- woman is cheating on you, go and kill her. And he was doing it to like make his image edgier and more like relevant. And this was back in like the 90s, right when Martina McBride and the Chicks and G- Gillian Welch was starting to do these murder ballads. Um, I remember when you mentioned before he cheats when we were talking about this originally, and I just had like war flashbacks because I was a child when that song came out. But even I like have faint memories of the discourse about that song and men having their male tears about, oh, she's wrecking his car. If a guy did a song about this, he'd be called like terrible and blah, 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 blah. No, y'all do songs like this where you kill her and you're justified. Literally, it's codified in the law, a crime of passion. Yes. And historically, statistically, like men are usually the ones who hurt women and kill them. Not just in fiction, but also in real life. So, so it's like this huge, just double standard where women can't like, it's like, even for like the song Goodbye Earl, which is about a woman and her friend killing her husband who was beating her country certain country stations would literally not play it because they're like but we don't want to deal with this issue it's violent we don't want to talk about domestic violence it's murder and it's like he put her in the hospital they literally set the song up that she got a restraining order out on him he tore right through it and put her in intensive care yes and it's this idea that literally the law system is built around the idea that women cannot win because the self-defense law is so built against them because most of the times if a guy is coming at you head on you as a woman can't hit back and survive now i do you know we do want to say it's like we aren't saying women can't be abusers they obviously can um you know there is domestic abuse that is obviously women are abusing either their wives or their husbands. Women can absolutely be abusers. We're not saying this. We're just saying statistically from what we have, it seems to be um, there is a certain group getting a raw deal 
And I think y'all know what group we're talking about. <clears throat> Definitely. And just the which type of person gets criticism for certain types of stories. I was doing research into the Before He Cheats backlash because I was curious. And I literally discovered that John Mayer, who has written some songs and said some things about women, literally once in the a, less than a year after Before He Cheats came out, he did a stand-up routine and he complained about how the song was about a woman abusing the shit out of a man. And then he sang this little parody song that was literally about him kicking a woman while she was on her knees, going, maybe next time she'll think before she speaks. Yeah, that that's... And that's, that's the It's not even like before she cheats or before she speaks. And this idea this, that goes back to literally the beginning of human civilization that women... If they say something that a man does not like, she is inciting violence against her, which is absolutely false, but not under patriarchy. And I just remember reading that just like getting a really gross feeling because that was back in 2007. And the media reported on it like it was just a normal thing. That, oh, Carrie, I know it releases a song where she about being cheated on and she ruins a guy's car. And then this other mainstream male musician sings a song about beating I'm going to beat a woman just for opening her mouth and talking. Yes, that is just apples to oranges, isn't it? Yeah. Anyways, before our blood pressure gets up, um, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. We have an article. If you're listening to this and you're not on our website, um, I do highly, highly suggest that you visit the article that this lady's first episode is hosted on on our website because we have a ton of additional resources and reading that I think would be very uh, illuminating and educational for you to peruse and absorb. So if you are listening like on Apple or on Spotify or whatever your favorite platform is, I, I do strongly encourage you to go ahead and visit our site to find this article on. You can easily search just like ladies first and it'll bring the, the episodes up. But do check out the resources and the further reading links we have for this. Um, I just think they're very informative. Definitely. And um, on that page, um, with all the information you all, there's also, you can check out this really cool cartoon from the nineties that basically summarizes what we've been saying. Um, it's by Signe Wilkinson. She's a cartoonist who has won a Pulitzer. Um, you might be hearing from her soon. And she wanted me to give a sh quick shout out to her book of women's cartoons, Herstory, 19 cartoons celebrating the 19th amendment. So giving her that quick shout out as a teaser for later this summer. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much going to be it for us this month. Uh, we will be back in July. Uh, yeah, we have we, we just have a lot of uh, heavy hitter episodes coming up. Um, I really don't want to like drop too much of them, but we do have some pretty exciting episodes coming up. So we continue. Sorry, we thank you for your continued listening. There we go. And don't forget to check out the other podcasts we have on our Fundamentals Network. Those include uh, Cannon Fodder, Bayforge Academy, that's a weekly uh, TTRPG live play, 
beneath the screen of the ultra critics that's haram all bark no dice i'm probably forgetting something because i don't have the list taylor made for me pulled up in front of did i get I all of them um let me bring up the list right now and i can double check so you did haram um beneath the screen all bark no dice um anime attache that's the one i was thinking of that that's a new weekly every wednesday that we have i knew i was forgetting something this is why i have taylor like i would forget where my head is attached if it weren't for taylor <laughs> um that is also from uh the creator of Fae forge academy it is you take a bunch of anime neophytes and somebody who is an anime super fan and you put them together and make them watch a show so right now they're on i believe my hero academia and they're going a few episodes at a time so that is on uh that's up every week on wednesdays so be sure to check that one out as well it's a lot of fun did i get all of them now did you mention right to survive oh yes right to survive and now did i get all of them <laughs> I, we're yes. doing great so yeah, be sure just check out our other podcasts. They're all over the site. We have like a special menu toggle submenu thing called podcast. You can check things out. So thank you again for tuning into this episode. Go read the links. Let us know what you thought. If you have thoughts on this, we have a community discord that we'd love for you to join and chime in. And until next time, stay safe, wear a mask, get vaccinated. We'll keep saying this until everybody is. Have a good night or a good day, depending on what time you're listening.